The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Welcome to our show, my friends. We've got a packed house today uh, where we usually have two or three guests. Today, we've got four of them. Yeah, count them. One, two, three, four. <laughs> and uh, they're, 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 you know, these are, are uh, extremely interesting uh, interviews that we're going to do. Uh, we're going to start with, uh, with a, an interview with uh, a Republican candidate, congressional candidate, here in South Texas, uh, in the Laredo area, Miss Sandra Lynn Whitten. And Sandra, uh, Miss Whitten, is uh, going to tell us about how she uh, attended a Laredo public event and uh, she was denied the opportunity. Her and her family were denied the opportunity to uh, carry T-shirts, to wear T-shirts uh, that said that she's running for Congress. On the other hand, she's going to tell us how um, the uh, Democratic opposition, the Democrats, uh, two of them are running in a primary, uh, and the incumbent uh, Henry Cuellar and uh, his challenger, uh, supported by uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, these uh, these folks they were allowed to carry uh, and and show their uh, their political uh, memorabilia their or non memorabilia their political advertising they were allowed to carry shirts and and signs and everything else so uh, you know again we uh, we see the double standard while uh, voter suppression as the Democrats always claim uh, it doesn't happen openly. It certainly happens in a very indirect way where uh, Republicans and conservatives are denied even being seen, let alone being heard. So uh, we're going to hear from her. We're also going to hear from our good friend Brandon Judd, who is the uh, uh, Border Patrol Union Chief, National Union Chief. Uh, Brandon Judd's going to talk to us about uh, what ICE is planning to do in the sanctuary cities. Uh, we've heard a lot of screaming and yelling already from the left about how they are not going to cooperate with ICE uh, now that the uh, president has targeted uh, these sanctuary cities as places where he's going to send in a special uh, squad, a special squad to um, uh, help with the uh, rounding up of these criminal aliens. Well, Brandon's going to talk to us about that. We also have reports from Jason Jones, the border crime expert. Jason Jones is going to talk to us about what's been going on on the uh, on the border with the cartels and the fentanyl that's coming in, a very, very dangerous drug, my friends. Uh, he, he's going to chat with us about that. And finally, we've got Todd Benzman uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies who's going to give us another report about what's been going on at the at the uh, Mexico's southern frontier, Mexico's southern border uh, with Guatemala, and uh, how they are uh, interrupting these caravans that are coming in. So, my friends, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Uh, we uh, appreciate it. We, we hope that you will support us. We hope that you will share the program. So, um, without further ado, let's go to our first, uh, to our first interview. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got our very good friend, Mr. Brandon Judd, 
a Border Patrol agent and president of the National Border Patrol Union Local. Um, I wanted to reach out to him because very, very important happenings over the weekend. The announcement that um, the president, that uh, ICE and uh, Homeland Security are going to be deploying or assigning, I'm not sure which uh, term to use. I'll let Brandon educate us on that. But they're going to be placing <coughs> tactical units in sanctuary cities. Uh, as we know, there has been a lot of effort by some sanctuary communities, by politicians in these sanctuary communities to not um, cooperate with ICE, to not cooperate, and in some cases even interfere. There was a judge that uh, allowed an illegal alien to uh, escape out the back door. Um, it, we have uh, these folks that are in open rebellion against uh, immigration law enforcement. So I wanted to get... Uh, uh, Brandon, to please explain to us what uh, what does it mean? What is it? What are these tactical squads, and what what it, what does it mean? Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, as you heard, what are we looking at? What are we talking about when the, uh, the the administration talks about a tactical unit going into a sanctuary community? Well, the first thing you have to look at is you have to look at the reason why. Why do we have to take resources away from the border patrol and give them to ICE or lend them? started hearing uh, from some of the uh, leftist liberal organizations and politicians how this is going to create fear uh, in the Hispanic community and how this is going to be disruptive uh, in the lives of many Hispanics. Well, uh, being a Hispanic or being considered a Hispanic like myself, I guarantee that my family and I are not scared uh, nor are do we uh, think that our lives are going to be in any form or fashion disrupted. Yet, these uh, folks are out there already uh, raising an alarm 
uh, what uh, you know what? That's, completely, what, that's, that's politics. That that all that is is politics. Okay, we're, ICE and the Border Patrol cannot just stop people on the street and ask them their immigration status. What has to happen is we have to identify. Um, somebody that is in the in the country illegally, and then we have to go and we have to. Most likely, it's going to be at their homes, knock on their door, um, not kick their door in or anything like that. So, if you're a law-abiding citizen, there is no fear. But that's the politics of it. They try to stir it up. They try to say, "Oh, this is this is about race. This is racism, um, so on and so forth." It has nothing to do with that. It's it's. These are individuals who have already been found out that they are evading um, uh, the lawful means of the United States, and we have to take them into custody. They've committed crimes in those cities other than immigration crimes. They've already been identified, and so then you go and you find those individuals and you take them into custody. Wow. You know, uh, like I I love to say is what part of the word illegal don't they understand? (laughs) So uh, how many uh, how many communities or or can you tell us how many cities uh, the uh, tactical squad are looking at at this point? Do you know that I can because that's specific operations and I'm not allowed to reveal what specific operations are. Gotcha. All righty. Well, uh, you know, do you uh, foresee any possible dangers to the agents uh, in doing these operations? Because, I mean, uh, obviously, if you go to somebody's house, I mean, when the police officers, when the regular law enforcement go to somebody's house, uh, there's always potential of uh, of uh, resistance and family b- getting involved in everything. And so you foresee any kind of problems like this? So the two, if you talk with uniformed law enforcement officers, and let's just talk uh, whether it's it's Highway Patrol, um, whether it's um, Houston Police Department, um, they'll tell you that that two of the most dangerous situations that they can be placed in is going to be vehicle stops or when they have to go to somebody's home for domestic violence. If If you go to somebody's home, there's always a potential for violence, and not just from the the suspect, but from whoever else is there as well. Um, we just had ICE agents, um, ICE officers in New York City. Um, they got into a huge altercation um, in which shots were fired. So yes, anytime that you go to somebody's home, there is a potential for danger. But that's why we're sending the. That's why we're. That's why Border Patrol is sending their BORTAC unit or their special operations unit because they're trained specifically to deal with and handle those situations so no i uh, i think that there's going to be very very little disruption i don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of danger because these individuals have been trained to deal specifically with that wow you know i like the way that you described it that's going to be very very targeted because again that uh, that answers the issue or that addresses the issue that somehow it's uh, you know it's uh, this massive raid on the entire community and it's you know it's not it's, it's no, very very not, targeted they're not going to go door to door knocking on people's doors saying we want to know what your status is these are and, and it's not just they're not just going there just for immigration purposes they have targeted individuals that have committed other crimes that were in custody by these sanctuary cities and that were then released um DUIs, domestic violence, uh, robberies, um, even potentially rapes, all of these different crimes that these individuals have committed and they were in custody of these sanctuary cities, but the sanctuary cities let them go, 
those are the individuals that are being targeted um, to the best of, of, of my knowledge is, is exactly what this operation is going to be. So, so they're not going to just be stopping people on the street, knocking on random doors. They're going to specific individuals' homes, workplaces, or locations where they'll know they'll be. Right. There, uh, I, I was speaking to a uh, friend of mine who uh, I won't name, who is an officer, a, uh, a uh, major uh, law enforcement uh, official in uh, Chicago, and he was telling me that uh, as far as he's as far as he knows, the rank and file police officers, uh, local police officers, are completely ready to uh, to back up and support in any form they can uh, the efforts of the border patrol. Do you think that that's going to happen in most of these sanctuary communities? I, I, the, the rank and file, absolutely, 100%. The rank and file um, law enforcement officers, they're all about the rule of law. They want to see the laws that are enacted by the specific uh, bodies that have jurisdiction, they want to see those laws enforced. Unfortunately, at the top level, it's at the, it's at the, chief, um, the chief level where they're political appointees, and they're specifically appointed by the mayor or city council. That's where you're not going to see the cooperation. That's where the sanctuary cities um, step in and make it very difficult on us. The rank and file specifically, yes, they're always ready and willing to step up and enforce the laws and do it properly and in a manner that the public wants them to do. Excellent. Buddy, can you you tell us, uh, give us any closing thoughts before we go? No, I, I look at what the administration is doing, and, and again, they're all about protecting United States citizens. They're all about protecting those people that are here legally. They're also about the rule of law and going about doing what needs to be done to protect us from those who would do us harm, and frankly, they need to be applauded for it. You got it. Folks, so we've been talking with uh, Mr. Brandon Judd, a Border Patrol uh, official with the uh, Border Patrol uh Union, national, local, and uh, thank you very, very much for ta- for taking time to be with us, Brandon. We'll get you back on sometime soon. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All righty, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Um, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. And Todd has written another one of his articles regarding the um, migration from Central America. And I uh, wanted to get him on here and chat with us uh, to tell us a little bit about um, what uh, his new research and what his investigations has found. Todd, welcome to the show. Tell us about uh, your article and what you found. Yeah, thanks for having me again, George. Uh, always glad to be here. So uh, I returned from Guatemala and southern Mexico, a reporting trip, a few <laughs> weeks ago, and I've been producing my um, stories and reporting from that. And 
one of the key issues that has come up in the mass migration uh, in terms of narrative is that the vast majority of Central Americans are fleeing something terrible, that they're fleeing violence, government persecution, uh, and they're applying for asylum. And so I went to the Central Highlands of Guatemala and spent some time in a small village that had emptied out, almost virtually emptied. It was like a like a, a ghost town almost, to try to determine really what the push factors were there. The first thing I noticed was that all around me in this remote indigenous village were these highly ornate, multi-story, beautiful concrete houses uh, with uh, you know gold-rimmed, uh, you know faux gold-rimmed windows and doors and. I'm thinking, what is this all about? And when I started to ask around, people said that, well, we we sent our wives, husbands, sons, daughters to the United States for the purpose of building these things because our neighbors had one. So you mean to tell me that there's no violence here, there's no government persecution, there's none of these terrible things that sent them there and they're like no they're coming back they we we just my neighbor had one and and i wanted one too and that that is the uh actual push factor for for uh particularly from guatemala in the highlands for going to the united states uh sharp at, at sharp variance with all of the popularly known narratives about why people were leaving and of course, it matters that we understand why people are leaving because this is how we determine what our policy response is going to be to these kind of migration events. Yeah, I mean, we we keep hearing about the violence and about um, well, even the climate change that has. Uh, I mean, we've got climate change refugees now, climate refugees, uh, all of these factors, and uh, now you're telling us that uh, it's uh, it's trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Uh, they got a good house, and they got uh, benefits from folks being in, in the U.S., and they want the same benefits. It's a it's a motivation that I had never heard before, and I'm an expert in immigration, and uh, have been covering this for years and years, and I've never heard uh, of a mass immigration as a result that was a re- as a result of I want to build a big house like my neighbor. Wow. That. That is a significant uh, finding and a phenomenon, a social phenomenon. And it's not just um, me either, because I I was kind of curious to know, am I crazy here? Because I've never heard of such a thing. So I called uh, a couple of academics at UT Austin who specialize in immigration (laughs) of every sort and have traveled extensively through Guatemala and Mexico and Central America, and they confirmed it. They said that in their experience on the ground there, looking at these big houses and talking to people, that that is what their understanding of why Central Americans are coming to the United States as well. So it was good to kind of get a gut check that I'm not crazy and that my reporting is sort of like kind of something new here, I guess. Yeah. So what about what about the caravans themselves? I mean, the, uh, who's organizing that, and are they um, still continuing? I, 
the last I heard was that there, you know, the, the last caravan, as we know, I was with that caravan that entered Mexico from Guatemala, and it ran right into a Mexican buzzsaw. They were they rounded up two thousand, probably almost everybody in that caravan, and put them on buses and shipped them all back to Honduras. And when that happened, it took them about a week to get them all, and they flew some home too. Uh, but the deterrent effect of that uh, must have must be being felt because I had heard that there were new caravans forming, and now they're not forming and coming. So I I don't really know what's happened with that, but I suspect that what the Mexicans did there had a pretty powerful uh, messaging impact back home. So what do you think will happen with these uh, with these folks? in these Guatemala villages that you visited that were uh, anxious to get uh, relatives to the United States so that they could have uh, as nice a home uh, as, uh, as their neighbors who, were, who had relatives in, in, in the U.S., what do you think will happen with them? Will, there, you know, will that, uh, that dream and that approach end? Well, there's a lot of implications to this. If, if in fact, the uh, push factor for... The majority of these Guatemalans was economic uh, or something more um, social, like like pursuit of a status symbol. Uh, if that turns out to, um, if uh, asylum officers were to embrace that, uh, what we'll have is you know a mass asylum fraud circumstance where most because most Guatemalans when they come over you know, declared asylum like everybody else. And the implication of that is, is I'm fleeing government persecution mainly. Uh, so if in fact they are not pursuing, pers- they're not fleeing persecution, they're, they're trying to pay for a house, uh, that's not grounds for an asylum uh, eligibility. Right. So, uh, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, as we reported uh, a few days ago, seven out of ten of those Central American asylum claimants are not even showing up for their hearings. Yeah, talk about that once again, because I thought that that whole the whole idea of of uh, catch and release, uh, uh, ending that practice and putting people over on the other side of the river uh, to wait in a third country. I thought that that was the whole idea of this uh, of that effort to uh, to prevent people from declaring. Asylum being given a date, being released, and then not, not ever showing up again. Looks like we're back to it again. Yeah, well, remember that almost a million people got in before we put those policies in place. Right. That slowed the flow. So, of the three quarter of the nine hundred and fifty thousand that got in using an asylum claim, you know, we still have to process and deal with them one way or another. Oh, so that's that's Children. this figure. That's where this figure is coming from. Uh, out of those nine hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, seven out of ten are not showing up. It looks like, I mean, the, the, the numbers are, it looks like about 70% of them are just blew it off. Wow. Which is kind of what we all, it's exactly what we all expected. That exactly. Claiming asylum is just, it's just a... Uh, a, a ploy. A tactic to, yeah. get, to get past Border Patrol so that you can live indefinitely, illegally inside the country and never be deported. Amazing. Go ahead and try to deport a couple of parents uh, 
whose kids are in school with a TV camera running on them. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're, you know, that's uh, that 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 really has implications for public relations. That's for sure. Well, buddy, I, I you know, uh, it, it is really really. Um, Interesting. Tell the folks how they can follow you, and and uh, well, uh, unless there's anything else that you want to share with us, real quick. Well, I was just going to say one other quick thing is that you know I interviewed four families in this uh, village in in the Highlands, and all four of them said that their kids are sending remittance money home to build these houses uh, for the purpose of them returning one day to live in the houses that they're building, uh, which is also a testament to just how dangerous they actually think their hometowns are. Really? Uh, human rights organizations in the United States say that they're fleeing, desperately fleeing for their lives. But all of them told me, yeah, they're going to come back in a year or two years after we finished up here and live in the houses and raise their families. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. I have a, a feeling that, you know, a lot of those folks kind of get addicted to the U.S. lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, you know, one <clears throat> buffet too many and you're hooked. Right. Uh, so it's kind of hard to go back to persistent um, kind of circumstances after that. That's right. Tell the folks how they can follow you on uh, on uh, Facebook or, or, or on the web. Sure. Uh, you can find me at toddbensman.com. You can find all of my work there. And you can find these stories at cis.org. And we have a topics page called CIS Reports from America's Other Southern Border. And all of my reporting from that trip is in there. There's about six or seven video reports and uh, print reports about my findings. Gotcha. <clears throat> Todd, as usual, thank you very much for joining us. Once again, my folks, we've been talking with Todd Bensman from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you for uh, being with us again, Todd. Thanks for having me, George. All right, my friends, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got our uh, very good friend, uh, Mr. Jason Jones, the uh, uh, expert on border uh, crime. I've asked him to come on because he's just finished writing an article about the drug fentanyl and uh, how it's impacting us, uh, the uh, importation, the, the uh, contraband across the border. Uh, I, I think it's very, very important, folks, that we understand uh, what's going on with regards to this uh, this new drug that's coming across. Jason, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us, tell us about uh, your article, and uh, let's begin by, by explaining to folks what fentanyl is, and then you can tell us uh, about your article and what's going on. Yeah, sure, George. As always, it's great to be back with you, and thanks for having me, especially about this topic, which you know I have to tell you, I'm really concerned about. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, is really what it is. Uh, at the end of the day, it's created by chemists. Uh, they're using chemical precursors historically from China, going back a few years where, where the cartels are getting it from. And then they're using um, different methods and labs in Mexico to finalize it and then push it into the United States. One of the big trends that's changing right now with fentanyl is that the cartels are no longer going to need China and China's precursors. Uh, they have their own techs and their own chemists who are making it in Mexico, 
and they're completely going to just take out the, the middleman and run it themselves. So what is fentanyl in and of itself? Not only is it a synthetic opioid, but the best way to probably describe it is that it's a depressant, and most Americans are familiar with morphine from having surgeries uh, in the hospitals. And the DEA states that fentanyl is about 80 to 100 times more potent than morphine. So that just gives you an example of how strong of a drug we're talking about. And because it's a depressant, basically what it's doing is it's lowering your muscular system and just it's killing you by stopping your heart. Wow. Wow. And and how much of it is coming across? I mean, what uh, I mean, obviously, this is uh, this is something uh, that's new. But uh, how much of it is crossing the border into our into our communities and how dangerous is it to us in the future? Sure. The truth is, we really don't know exactly how much. But what we know in regards to what we're missing, but what we know from debriefs to, from cartel bosses that we've been arresting for years is that we, on average, stop about 10 to 12 percent of what they ship. So they kind of look at 10 percent uh, is just part of doing business and knowing that law enforcement is going to capture that. So you see that we're not capturing near as much as we'd like. But one thing that I can tell you that's really concerning me, and the reason that I wrote this article, is that in the first three months, Border Patrol between the ports of entry has knocked down 138 pounds of it. Now, you may say, well, that doesn't sound like very much compared to marijuana and compared to methamphetamine. But that is more, uh, I mean, that, 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 that's a lot of dope. I mean, just to give you an example, in all of 2018, the most ever seized by Border Patrol was 388 pounds. So you can see in 2020, if we can continue at this rate, we're going to far exceed the amount seized in all of 2018. And in, in 2019, they only knocked down a couple hundred pounds between the ports. So we're well on our way to being a, you know over 500 pounds of meth just between the ports of entry by Border Patrol seized uh, in 2020. So, I mean, the, uh, you know, the human trafficking is one way the cartels make money. Uh, if the human trafficking is being cracked down on, which uh, even Mexico is doing, I mean, stopping the Guatemalan caravans, then obviously they're going to turn to something else, to another product, so to speak, to make money. And, and apparently it's, uh, it's going to be the uh, it's going to be drugs. It's going to be this op- opioid, right? It is, and I, I think you said it very well. Uh, not many people recognize this. The fact that the human smuggling numbers are going to drop dramatically due to U.S. policy changes that uh, this administration has implemented working with Mexico. And Mexico is doing a great job, by the way, of trying to reduce uh, the number of people coming in through Mexico to reach the U.S. The cartels are adjusting to that. And we are seeing it in the data. And the data shows that methamphetamine and fentanyl are surging at our border. And that's why I wrote the article, because while we just spoke about fentanyl, let's talk about meth for a second. The U.S. Customs Office of Field Operation, which is our port of entry officers who protect our ports, already in the first three months of 2020, George, they seized 40,000 pounds of methamphetamine. Now, the reason that's significant is because in all of FY 2019, they only see 68,000 pounds. So we are well on our way to triple the amount of methamphetamine seized at our southern border. And what that shows and what that says is that the Mexican cartels 
have made a hard change and an adjustment. They're pushing more meth and more fentanyl because, one, they know that the U.S. market um, is that's where the demand is. But second, they can make up money because they're all at war in Mexico. And we've never been here before. And this is how they're going to recoup those losses. Now, this war that they're that they they are experiencing, the cartels among themselves. Uh, you've talked a little bit about that before. Tell us a little bit about uh, this war that's going on between the cartels. Yeah, sure. And, and where we are is where we've never been. And what, what the reason you see me so concerned about it, and the reason I talk about it so much here, is because historically we will see a regional conflict, like in Tamaulipas or in Juarez, that many of the folks may remember, you know, going back from 2009 through about 2016. Now what we see is numerous states across Mexico, from Tamaulipas to Nuevo León to Cojila, look at Guanajuato, look at what is happening in Guerrero and Michoacan. I mean, it's just across Mexico, and all of these big cartels are battling and warring. As they, they call it going to war. And literally, George, if you and I were sitting here and we were talking to a Sicario or someone in a leadership position, they would tell you that war is extremely expensive. And so they have to recoup those losses. And that's why when I saw this data after the first three months, if I was still sitting where I used to at Texas DPS, I would be briefing the director and the leadership on we have to be making harsh changes right now. And I'm really hopeful that someone in the White House, someone in the Office of National Drug Control Policy, and also the leadership and executive leadership of the Drug Enforcement Administration really start making some, some strong policy changes, start addressing this because... I'm very fearful for what we're going to see in 2020 as a result of the risk going the way they are. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's uh, uh, it, the the amount of uh, fentanyl and meth that's being that's being trafficked across us is is frightening. Now, one of the things that's very interesting to me, and um, maybe you can chat a little bit about that too, is how dangerous of a drug this is, even to detect. Because I remember uh, there have been instances where uh, drug sniffing dogs have become sick, deathly sick, they've died uh, from inhaling uh, these drugs, from even sniffing these drugs. I mean, it's they're, they're that powerful. Well, and a great example of that is if you notice, whenever they make a fentanyl seizure now in law enforcement somewhere in the country, what do they say? They don't give you the value of the amount like we do for cocaine and methamphetamine and heroin and other drugs. What do they say? They say, with the amount of fentanyl we've seized, 10,000 Americans could have been killed. You see what I'm saying? So they even are showing by the number of deaths how volatile this this fentanyl is. I mean, it's really something. It only takes a few grains, uh, the size of, you know, which are about the size of a salt grain, uh, to kill a person. Very minute amounts. So how you handle it, how you come across it, how you deal with it, law enforcement is completely different today. So tell us uh, here in the closing minute, uh, what needs to happen, buddy? What needs to what needs to happen? Well, uh, you know, you've heard me say in the past, we are going to have to attack the problem and not the symptom. As a nation, we are still going after the drugs. We're still going after the human smuggling and the human trafficking. And we've been doing all of those things for decades. And we have plenty of failures documented that show that we have to do things differently. And We've got to go after the cartels. And this is one of the reasons, too, that it's getting where it is with the number of murders that we're seeing in Mexico, which are at record levels, and the violence going on throughout that country and the moving of drugs into our country. We must designate the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. It's going to give us the authorities we need to remove them, 
from this country, to not allow them in this country through any legal visas, to keep their mobility from working with other nations across the world, to limit them because we can put them on no-fly lists. And we can also use the full power of our national resources to go after their money and to limit their capabilities. And that's what we've got to do, George. You got it, buddy. Once again, tell the folks how they can uh, follow you and where they can read uh, more uh, of your articles. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at uh, jasonjones.com. That's J-A-E-S-O-N, jones.com. Great. We've been talking with uh, border crime expert uh, Jason Jones. Thank you for being on our, on our show, Jason, as usual. Hey, great talking to you, George. Thanks for having me, buddy. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM radio. Uh, and we've got uh, a special guest with us. Uh, maybe some of you have heard about the situation already. Um, but we've got Miss Sandra Lynn uh, Witten, who is running for Congress in the 28th District of uh, Texas, uh, which is a district which is uh, a seat held right now by um, Democrat uh, Henry Cuellar. Henry Cuellar has held it uh, for about uh, 20 years now. It's been a while that, since he got elected. And uh, the Cuellar family quite, uh, are quite dominant in the Laredo area. Uh, the, the brother uh, of Henry, Henry's brother is the sheriff of Webb County, and his sister is the tax assessor. So uh, they've got uh, a lot of influence, a lot of political clout in that uh, area. And uh, we've got a situation that arose this past weekend where uh, there was an, an, a celebration going on or an event going on with the uh, Washington's Birthday uh, Association. Uh, and uh, apparently, uh, Democrats were allowed to, to, uh, to be political, but not uh, Republicans. Uh, Ms. Whitten was uh, not allowed to pass out flyers. So I wanted to reach out to her and ask her to tell us what happened and uh, what she feels, uh, why she feels it happens and what, uh, what can be done about this. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Tell us what happened. Good morning, George. Hey, hey, y'all. Um, so it was it was kind of crazy. You know, it was a it was a beautiful Sunday in South Texas, as we usually have here in February. And my family and I had gone to the Washington Birthday Celebration Association Stars and Stripes Air Show, uh, as we usually do every year. And when we got there, we were wearing our Sandra for Texas T-shirts, uh, and I had gone in. We were in two different lines. I had kind of gotten through, and my husband yelled back, and he said, "Hey, they're not letting us in because of our T-shirts." And I turned around and I said, "What?" In the world what's wrong with our t-shirts and a gentleman he was wearing a, a lanyard that said board of directors and uh, it said he said oh, i'm sorry we're not allowing any political uh 
campaigning or anything like that here at the event. And I said, I, I don't understand. We're just wearing a T-shirt. Um, we have a First Amendment right, so why why is it that we can't go in with our T-shirts on? And he said, well, let me double check on that, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that that was the rule that they had made for this year. And I said, okay. So he radios in, and sure enough, he comes back and he says, no, they're not. They, they said absolutely no uh, political campaigning or, or advertisement will be permitted. And I said, well, we don't have a booth. We're, we're not going to pass out flyers. Like, we, we can abide by the rules. That's not a problem. This is just our T-shirts. So we're, would you rather us take them off, or can we flip them inside out? Like, what would you like us to do? And he said, well, I guess you can go flip them inside out, but we're not going to let you in unless, you know, with it on. So, and, and there was a sign, but it was not, it was a big sign, but it was kind of hidden by, you know, people, and it was kind of past where the ticket booth and everything was. So, we went all the way back to our cars, we fl- fixed our shirts, I, I did do a little divisive picture and, and video, just, you know, claiming, hey, they're, they're not letting us in, and, you know, I, and we came back, they let us right in, and, and I said, you know, if I see any other campaign shirts, like, I'm, I'm going to make sure I call it out. And sure enough, we weren't in there maybe 30 minutes or so. We were walking around. We saw Congressman Cuellar over at the sheriff's booth there right next to his brother. And, uh, you know, he's the incumbent, so you expect to see him at the events, even though we've been going faithfully for about 11 years, and I've never seen him there before. And uh, I look around, and all of the people around him have their Henry Cuellar T-shirts on. So I pulled out my camera phone, and I, you know, I did a video stating very clearly and loudly so that they could hear me and as soon as they saw the camera and heard me saying that they all covered their shirts with their button-ups that they had on um you know it was it was really unfair we were there to have a family event and to just kind of get our name out and and uh you know we weren't doing anything disruptive or anything along those lines i mean we had our kids with us for crying out loud so it's not like we're trying to cause a riot Mm -hmm. um i had um i posted all of that on facebook and and facebook and kind was very um very receptive to what happened and and you know of course the cries of political corruption started coming out which was exactly what i felt as well and then later we found out that uh, jessica cisaneros who was running against queer on the democratic ticket was there also in her t-shirt as well um, so it was very clear that as long as you are wearing the the right colors, I guess, then you can get in. But if you have a, a different voice than, than what the politicals want you to have. Now, one of the things that I do want to note is that Congressman Cuellar and his brother are both honorary board members for the WBCA Association as well. So, you know, it, it kind of makes a few red flags kind of come into play here. Was this a deliberate attack on, on, on those that are running an office? Because I had somebody else message me later that night saying that his sister Rosie was there in her caps and shirts and stuff like that as well. So it's, it's, it was very clear that as long as you were a Democrat, you could wear your colors. But if you're a Republican or speaking up for something different wanting to actually be the real voice for people that's that's not going to be allowed that's going to be silenced so i mean had you prepared in any form or fashion for this i mean had you uh, notified anybody that you were going to be there to do this uh, or was this just them doing it right then and there on that morning? You know, I, I'm not really sure. We, we did post on Facebook, you know, hey, th- these are some events that Sanders is going to be attending. Um, you know, it's very common practice for people to go to events in the area, so it wasn't something that was, it, you know, it was a forbidden thing. Uh, on the WBCA website, it didn't mention anything that we couldn't be there. In fact, I, I made sure I put a screenshot of what not to bring, and that was not, you know, a political T-shirt was not on there. Um, we were at the car show the day before and we had no issues now we weren't in t-shirts but we were passing out our flyers it was very clear we did facebook lives from there as well we didn't have any problems at all that people were very receptive to us and cisneros was there and the same thing um so it was just interesting that it was all on sunday when the day that the congressman was going to be at that event that now we're having the problems right 
How, how about uh, how are how are other uh, situations or events that are coming up uh, or have already happened? I mean, the, you, you mentioned that the car show there was no problem. Do you foresee any other events that you might have some problems with? You know, I do. So on Saturday is the big WBCA parade, and it's it's a beautiful parade, and the city's on full display. It's 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 one of our favorite events every single year. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is actually going to be there, so I'm sure we're going to find a lot of resistance that day. We were we did try to get a float for the parade, and they they point blank told us that floats were not going to be for political candidates, only for for already elected members, which we expected that. And you know we had we made that phone call back in late fall uh, to see if we could try and get a float. Uh, but then we were told you can you know walk through the through the crowds and hand out your flyers and stuff there. So it will be interesting to see if we get turned away or shut down at that event as well now. Wow. Uh, so Nancy Pelosi will be in Laredo this weekend, folks. Um, what uh, what about uh, the media? I mean, one of the one of the issues that uh, that we find quite often with Republicans in South Texas is that the media ignores them. Uh, has anybody has the media reported in Laredo anything about this situation, this incident? Um, not any of the the anchor stations. They have not. We have had one reach out to us, and we're going to do an interview with them tomorrow. One of the local independent journalists has shared our our post. And, you know, uh, she didn't put any comments on it. She just shared it. So I would imagine that there is some sort of outrage with it. Um, when we first were starting, you know, the campaigns were all starting to kick off. Nobody picked up ours was 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 being launched. Of course, we didn't necessarily publish it just yet because we weren't quite to that point. But a quick FEC search would have shown that we were registered. And when Cisneros decided to run, they said, well, it'll be a clean, clean sweep. She'll go all the way to the to the house because she'll she'll knock out Quayer just like AOC did. And so we had had to do a lot of hey wait a second yeah clearly nobody did any kind of research because I was already filed and and nobody had had picked that up yet so mm-hmm. it's been a lot of oh oh wait we forgot about her kind of situation and and I get it I, I'm not backed by a bunch of special interest groups and justice Democrats and you know big big companies and stuff like that like like our Democratic friends are I'm I'm actually a real grassroots person everything's been word of mouth for my campaign and that's the way campaigning should be it shouldn't be all about who's got the most money it should be about the message yeah uh, looking at Texas at Laredo, <clears throat> uh, we've got the situation where Laredo is very much a uh, Democrat establishment uh, machine, and uh, you know you're either part of that establishment or you're not. And obviously, being a Republican, you're not going to be. And, been, and being a Republican that's against the incumbent, you're not going to be that. So your, your reception, I guess, has been uh, a little cool, should we say? It's been a little cool, but it, since all of this has happened since since Sunday afternoon, the 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 outpouring has been overwhelming. People in Laredo have been like, oh my gosh, there's actually somebody willing to step up against this machine, against the dynasty, against the corruption that we've been facing for so long. You've got our support. How can we help get your message out? So, you know, it's it's been overwhelming to see the reception. I mean, of course, we've had a few trolls, but, you know, anybody who's standing up against the machine is always going to end up facing. But um, overall, people have been very supportive and, and overwhelmingly just excited that there's finally somebody willing to stand up and be their voice. Excellent. So what, uh, here in the closing moments, what message do you have for uh, the uh, residents, the voters of District 28 and for South Texas in general? I want you guys to know that you, you, your voice matters, and I plan to carry that all the way to D.C. when I'm elected in November. 
Um, you're, don't worry about the political corruption. As our president likes to say, they're, they're, they're not after me, they're after you, they're just using me. And I, I firmly believe that that's exactly what we're going to end up being and um, know that I will be the conservative voice that's going to, to speak well for you. And that's exactly what I intend to do. And you can go to sandrafortexas.com to contribute. Even if it's only $5, it helps us get the message out a little bit further. So thank you guys for your support. We've been talking with uh, Ms. Sandra Lynn Whitten, who is running for Congress in Texas District 28 as a Republican and as a conservative. So folks, uh, let's uh, let's do what we can to support her. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. I her- hope that you have enjoyed our program today. Uh, I can't uh, finish the program without mentioning that uh, today is the 22nd. Um, Washington's birthday. Uh, I, I really, really admire. This is one of my heroes from from American history, George Washington, a man that uh, became president, was offered the crown to be um, king, uh, did not take it uh, for obvious reasons. All he wanted to be was a citizen planter, and uh, he retired uh, very, very uh, pleasantly to uh, his um, home with Martha. At Mount Vernon, uh, there was a uh, very interesting uh, documentary on him this past week that uh, was absolutely fascinating, although uh, some of the leftists, of course, could not control themselves uh, but to keep uh, but to say a couple of disparaging things about him. But that's OK. You know, uh, the fact of the matter is that so many people uh, just don't know who George Washington was or appreciate what he did for us. The other thing I want to mention is uh, as we speak in Laredo, Texas, Laredo, Texas is having what they call Washington's birthday. Now, this is a very interesting holiday that uh, celebration that goes on in deep south Texas in a very, very Hispanic town. Uh, In fact, um, the um, uh, the establishment, the old establishment, the old families of Laredo uh, created uh, they created this uh, George Washington's birthday celebration. In order to express, in order to show how American they are, and uh, George Washington's celebration uh, was uh, is is the pinnacle of, uh, or was the pinnacle of the uh, of the of the Laredo establishment in showing how patriotic they were towards uh, towards the United States. Of course, now uh, years later, that uh, celebration has just become another big celebration, big money maker for the community. Interestingly, the uh, they are hosting uh, none other than uh, than Nancy Pelosi. She's going to be there at uh, in Laredo uh, at the uh, at various events. She probably will go to the uh, border and claim that it's secure and safe, and uh, that she doesn't want children in cages, et cetera, et cetera. That we should oh welcome everyone, never mind whether they're legal or illegal. Uh, I'm sure they're going to make some, you know, silly pronouncements. But it's very, very interesting the history of this um, of this uh, celebration in in, uh, in Laredo, Texas. So, my friends, once again, thank you for being with us. Let me remind everybody that uh, El Conservador is a um, is a nonprofit, uh, public supported uh, blog and program. We don't have sponsors, uh, and uh, we're certainly looking for them right now. We are needing uh, to uh, get sponsors, and we certainly uh, are looking for donations for our program to uh, to strengthen it, to grow. Uh, like I said before, we are going to be branching out into Spanish-language conservative uh, programming. 
and uh, we need to get the conservative message into the hands and into the ears of uh, of uh, Spanish-speaking people. So, thank you again for joining us. I hope that you will join us next week. We've got uh, we've we've scheduled a couple of very interesting uh, young people from college who are going to talk to us about um, inc- incidents that have been happening on college campuses. They themselves are, are Republicans and conservatives, and of course, that's not very popular on a college campus. So, uh, we'll be hearing from them. Uh, next week's uh, next week's show. So until next time, my friends, thank you for being with us. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer.